0: welcome to the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast. I'm Sheila Ray Gregoire from tolovehonorandvacuum.com where we like to talk about how to make marriage less of a to-do list and more of a passionate adventure. And speaking of passionate adventures, I have my husband here with me today. Hi, everyone. (laughs) Um, After a lot of feedback on last week's podcast where our son-in-law was on the show, people were saying they wanted to hear more from the guys in the family.
1: That sounds great. I'm happy to be here. (laughs)
0: Yeah, and I mean, everybody hears about you, but I don't think that they know you at all because you don't show up on the blog that much. So yeah, so here, I'm going to put you on the spot right now. Okay. (laughs) So this week on the blog, I was talking about a concept called the five whys method. And whys like W-H-Y-S, not whys like W-I-S-E. Okay. Okay. Although I guess it is wise as well, but that's not the point. (laughs) The point is that if you have a problem, the way that you tackle the problem is by asking why five times.
1: And as a pediatrician, the first thing I think of is like a four-year-old asking why 500 times.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But this is not like that. Good. (laughs) So we don't have to do that. But the reason is because sometimes you think the problem is A... But as you dig down deeper, you figure out what the root of the real issue is, and then you can solve it.
1: That sounds interesting.
0: And since I've been kind of beating up on, on marriage um, counseling and, and a lot of things lately on the blog, I thought maybe we should do something that helps people rather than just criticizes.
1: Okay. I don't think you've been beating up on marriage counseling. I mean, I've been reading the post. I think you're just trying to give some balance to some... <laughs> some views that are a little extreme and try and bring them in there that's all I think you're trying to do
0: okay you're very sweet okay. but <laughs> what a, can you give an example yeah, my
1: wife don't talk about her like that
0: <laughs> thank, thank you sweetie <laughs> okay can you give an example of the five wives that I know we were just talking about it um, in the kitchen earlier and I was saying or you, you used the example if you lose the battle
1: yeah there's that whole famous poem that goes for the want of a nail the shoe was lost for the want of a shoe the horse was lost for the want of a horse the rider is lost and the battle was lost and everything's a disaster right and i'll come for the want of a nail right
0: mm-hmm. and so the way that would work with the five whys is you would start with the question why did we lose the
1: battle yeah and then you work back well why did that happen and why did that happen that's what you're talking okay. about okay
0: well, yeah so do it so why did we lose the battle
1: oh well because we didn't have enough horsemen
0: and why did you not have enough horsemen?
1: Because the, the horses were not able to show up for battle because they didn't have the right shoes on.
0: And why did they not have the right shoes on?
1: Because we didn't have enough nails.
0: There you go. And why, and why
1: did we not have nails? We don't have enough blacksmiths in the Army.
0: Exactly. So what the Army needs is more blacksmiths, yeah, that, which you possible. which you wouldn't necessarily think right off the bat just because you lost the battle. And that's what I wanted to apply to marriage this week.
1: Now, doesn't this come from, like, car manufacturers? Yeah.
0: I, well, as near as I can tell, um, the first people to do it was Toyota back in the nineteen. 19- 50s although i first read about it with the ritz carlton in new york and they asked seven wise not just five wise because they're overachievers (laughs) (laughs) you know that's what it takes to be ritzy is you gotta ask it seven times and i think it was something like um the elevators weren't running fast enough like people it was taking too long for people to get the elevators and it came down to the fact that they were doing laundry at the wrong time for the
1: sheets yeah because the whole point Mm of it i think you're trying to say for this exercise is that you know the Immediate solution that sometimes presents itself may not be the deep underlying primary problem.
0: Yeah, and, and to give people hope, I think what often happens in marriage is you have this issue. Like you think we are not communicating, we're growing more and more distant, and that means there must be something horribly wrong with our marriage. Mm-hmm. But actually, it could be something else that's going on that's relatively easy to address. And so that's what I'm hoping people will take from this post this week and even this podcast, even if you don't read the post, but please read the post because it's a good one. And I have linked it in the description of this podcast. Um, But even if you don't, that you can work through this exercise. So I remember, um, gosh, how many years was it now? Katie was still at home. I'm thinking like it was right after you got that job in Kingston. So maybe five years ago.
1: Yep. Six
0: yeah, something like that. So you had had this, you had had this job in um, Belleville, in the hometown where we live, where you were just on call a lot. Yep. And like I don't know, like what eight times a month? And yeah,
1: yeah, at least.
0: <laughs> and you know, you didn't really sleep, and yep. sleep is good.
1: Why do kids always get sick at night?
0: Or they're born at night. Or they're born at night. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I but but I still saw you because you tend to go out at two in the morning when I was asleep, so it didn't yep. bother me. Yep. <laughs> it just bothered you.
1: <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're you're talking about how then I got that amazing dream job in Kingston. Yes. An hour away. Yes. So then, so like, you've probably, people have read the blog and heard these podcasts. They probably know the story, but the story was basically that I had offered a job at a university. So now... You know, I had to do less call at night, which was great. And the call that I did had residents who were there actually doing most of the work, and I just needed to be available on the other side of the phone. So it was a great job for me, and it was a much better lifestyle. I actually got to sleep a lot more at night. And when I did get called, I called, answered a phone call, and then went back to sleep. It was nice.
0: It was great. I loved it. The only issue was when you were on call, even though you weren't going into the hospital, you had to be in this other city.
1: Yeah, because I was, I was in the city that in case I did have to come in because every once in a while, the, you know, with a really sick kid, they didn't need my help to actually come in and help the, the residents. So, uh, yeah, so then what happened was uh, I would go away for the weekend. I'd leave early in the morning on Friday before you even woke up, and then I'd have to be on call all weekend. So I would just be in Kingston, and even if I was having a really nice relaxing weekend that wasn't too heavy. We just didn't touch base. Or if we did, it was only by phone or that sort of thing. That's just not the same.
0: No. And, and so I we found that we were really growing apart. Mm-hmm. And when you start asking the why question, like why were we feeling distant? It wasn't because there was anything wrong with our marriage.
1: Yeah. And, and we've kind of told this story kind of backwards because really we should be working it from the
0: the why. why did we feel distant? Yeah. Well,
1: we don't, and we've kind of built up why we were feeling distant from the mm-hmm. very bottom. But like what happened at the time is not that way. We now realize in retrospect what was happening. Mm-hmm. But at the time we were just feeling more and more distant and we had no clue what was going on. And so we said, why is it that we're feeling like this?
0: Yeah. And a big part for me, like, why are we feeling distant? And for me it was because you don't know what's going on in my life anymore. Mm-hmm. And then the question is, why don't you know what's going on in my life? And the answer was quite simple, because I wasn't telling you. Yeah. <laughs> and it- and why wasn't I telling you? Because it was too difficult. It was because I was working on the blog, which is doing weird stuff that isn't easy to explain to everybody. And I was dealing with difficult commenters and I just had a lot of stress. And it was so much easier just to talk to Rebecca, who knew what I was going through, or talk to my mom. And to have to explain it all to you was just like, ugh, because we weren't together that much.
1: And I think this is a bit of a sidebar, but I think it's an important one. Is I think that kind of underscores the issue of communication it needs to be kind of an ongoing thing. So because it's so much easier to talk to someone who you're talking to regularly. So again, just a little push in your marriage is to be talking to each other at least a little bit every day to keep those communication channels open. Cause, mm-hmm. Cause what was happening with us was I wouldn't see you for four days. And then now sudden, like now I've got to, you're thinking, Oh my gosh, now I've got to catch up on four days worth of stuff. <laughs> and it was, it was awkward and weird because we hadn't been keeping that going through the time.
0: Yeah. And one of the, one of the things that we started doing around that time was sharing our highs and lows. And I've talked about this on the blog too, because mm-hmm. sometimes I've never been, even when we were dating, I've never been one of these phone call people
1: yeah no you're you're terrible at that actually yeah i'm not trying to be mean it's just yeah oh hi how are you sweetie i'm on the other side of the phone you're like oh hi how are you but in person you're so different
0: i know but even i remember we were like 19 and 20 and we would spend summers apart from each other and you would just want to talk all the time and i'm like get off the phone just get off the phone we really? never even did that. I love you too. You hang up first. Yeah, no, ha- we didn't that. even do that. <laughs> I
1: love you more. Okay, bye.
0: <laughs> because I've never been a phone person, um, yeah, yeah. and so then when you're gone for four days, I just would. So what we figured out, and this, this can help if you are an introvert. I'm not an introvert, interestingly enough. Yeah,
1: surprisingly, neither of us are introverts.
0: Yeah, but but sometimes I act like an introvert in this way. I think because I yeah don't on the like phone only. Yeah. Yeah. But um, so, but a lot of introverts aren't going to particularly like these long conversations either. But what we found is that you can talk with a purpose. So we would share what was the time during the day that you had the most energizing experience, like you felt really on your game. And what was the time during the day where you just felt Ugh, that was awful. And that way, emotionally, we knew what was going on in each other's lives, even if we didn't know like all the extreme details of everything you did today.
1: Yeah, and it's it's a really great way to connect after you've been disconnected for a while because then you you kind of have to share something that's important to you, but it's you know because you can't just go from like I haven't seen you in five days to like here's my heart like <laughs> but you know if if you have to go through this exercise of what was the thing that was really challenging for me today, what was the thing that was really a you know great boost to my confidence today, uh, you know th- those give you little windows into the person's you know, hard and what they're really feeling and where they're really at right now. And, and it, 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 it makes you, it really d- generates closeness.
0: Mm-hmm. But we did, we went through this period where we were feeling like we were very distant and we didn't, we couldn't really put our fingers on why. And that's when you have to start asking those why questions. But if you can ask the question, why is this negative thing happening in our marriage, whatever it might be, and then go backwards, you can find it. So one example I gave in the blog post yesterday, you know, why do we always leave the house in a huff? Like, why are we always fighting in the morning? You know, and a lot of couples find that they are, you know, why do we always leave for church on Sunday morning in bad moods? (laughs) And if you go backwards and say, well, it's because we had breakfast late and everything was rushed. Well, why did we have breakfast late? You know, because we were got up late and then we goofed off instead of doing what we were supposed to do. Well, why weren't we organized? And you go backwards and sometimes you realize, okay, the problem is not actually that we're mad at each other. The problem is that we're not getting up at the right time. Yeah. You know, and if you change that one little thing, suddenly you're not mad at each other anymore.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, the one big issue I think of with us was the time where we realized that, you know, 90% of our fights happen within five minutes of me getting home from work. Mm-hmm. I mean there wasn't five whys to that it was you know mm-hmm. uh, maybe two or three whys till we got to the point that you know we realized that I was not in a place to engage with you in a healthy way when I got home from work you know it's it's it could be stressful at work and you need some time to decompress but you know we just thought that we were fighting all the time and it's like well no actually we're really only fighting at a very specific time and and mm-hmm. making that thinking about it that way made us realize that you know this is a solvable problem it's not that we're bad people who fight all the time it's We have to change the way we schedule our lives. And so we, you know, when I get home from work, we, I take about five, 10 minutes and decompress. And then I come out and say intentionally, okay, let's talk. What's going to happen?
0: Yeah. And I remember, um, when Rebecca was little, went through something like this too, where I found I was quite frequently really upset at you right as I was going to bed (laughs) <laughs> and I would think like, man, you know, I'm just I, I felt like everything was wrong with the world. And then you never seem to understand to give me my space. And I would get so upset. Like, why isn't he just giving me my space? Why doesn't he just understand, you know, that life is sometimes hard and I need to just process it? And then you ask, well, why do I feel like life is hard? And I realized as you go backwards through those whys that every Thursday night I watch the show ER. And that was a depressing show. Like, this was, like, the first two seasons of ER, I think, like, back in 95, 96. Um, you
1: just lost all the millennials.
0: Well, you know, whatever it might be, the equivalent for you. But in those days, those shows really affected me. They don't affect me quite as much anymore. But I think because I had a baby, and it was awful. And so I would just go to bed yeah. in such a funk. Yep. And then I stopped watching ER, and I stopped being mad at you. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> but you know sometimes
1: well, it's I think you're right. I think that's a good point. That the thing there are, we are fooled if we think that external influences in our lives don't modify how we treat each other. And we have to be very careful about that kind of things. So, you know, I think that's what Paul's talking about. You know, like think about what's holy and right and good and mm-hmm. and it's more than just like meditating on scripture. I mean, I think it's just basically being aware of what's in our environment, what thoughts are coming into our brain, how we're looking at the world, and even just little things like the shows that we watch, or the magazines we read, or, or that sort of thing. We have to be careful about that.
0: hmm And another b- point that I brought up yesterday in the post, too, was sometimes just getting more organized can help so much, because a lot of the times that we do fight, or we do get upset at each other and just cross with each other, is really when y- you just feel overwhelmed with your life. Mm-hmm. And so the less overwhelmed you can feel with your life, the less your spouse is going to be a hindrance. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and, and that's another really good point is that what I was thinking here about the five whys is you're talking about how to you know, break a problem down to its main issue mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. solve the problem by fi- getting to the core. And, and the thing I was thinking was that so many times I think we feel that the, the conflicts or the fights we have or the difficulties we have are not something that's solvable because they really are too big to solve mm-hmm. but you know what if you ask the why question then you can break that big problem down into smaller problems each problem of which can then be broken down into smaller problems and you can then tackle some of those smaller problems and then work your way up to solving the problem as a whole
0: mm-hmm. so i just wanted to give everybody listening some hope you know, it doesn't need to be a huge issue. And there are things that we can do to make our marriages better. And that's what we're going to be looking at this month on the blog. at to love, honor, and vacuum.com. Just some positive exercises that you can work through with your spouse to help your marriage feel closer. Um, and I think the Y one is a great one. I, I need to give one example of our personal life here. Not too personal. Don't worry. He's, <laughs> he's looking a little bit worried.
1: Oh, my gosh. Little beads of sweat are coming down my forehead. Yeah, I
0: always do that to you in the sex talk, too, like when we're doing marriage Oh, that, that is
1: amazing. Okay, you've got to come to one of the conferences one of these days and hear it everybody because like it's always something new like i've never heard it before either it just yeah i just and, go
0: totally off script yeah. and you're never sure what i'm gonna say but this is one that does i did actually... that to you
1: last time which was yeah. quite funny
0: but this one doesn't actually have to do with sex okay so so last night I was just in such a funk because I just had so much on my plate Mm -hmm. and I couldn't get away from it and then this morning I felt totally overwhelmed because I'm I'm I have a lot of editing for a book to do I have a new product releasing next week our honeymoon course Um, and then I have just a huge backlog of emails I've been having some interesting discussions on Twitter just all kinds of things have been um, pressuring me lately and I felt a little bit overwhelmed and last night I'm going to bed remembering that I hadn't brought some stuff to the post office yet and I haven't done some of these errands that I had promised to people and I couldn't get it out of my head and then this morning I got up and I just made the list of the things I had to do and I did them and it didn't actually take me that long Mm -hmm. but it was it seemed overwhelming yep and sometimes these things seem overwhelming. And I, I, did, I did the why question to my emails today because sometimes I get all these emails in my box and I'm afraid to open them. And so what I would do is I would look at an email and I would say, why am I afraid to open this one? Why am, you know, what is it that I'm afraid is going to be in that email? What am I going to do if that is in the email and realize okay that actually isn't that big a problem
1: (laughs) you know and that's cognitive behavioral therapy in five seconds yeah
0: there you go (laughs) but so i just want to encourage people yeah ask the why questions they're good questions and uh let us know in the comments to the post on the podcast if you have ever tried that and if that has ever worked for you so thank you honey for joining us on our podcast that's good
1: well maybe will do it again soon
0: yes peacemaker versus peacekeeper. They're not the same thing. One addresses conflicts and deals with them. One shoves conflicts under the rug to keep things on an even keel. God calls us to make peace and sometimes that's messy, even in marriage. That's one of the thoughts in my book, Nine Thoughts That Can Change Your Marriage. Don't settle for an okay marriage. Get a great one with my book, Nine Thoughts That Can Change Your Marriage it's reader question time. And today I have an awkward question from a newlywed. We're getting ready for our honeymoon course next week, which is going to be launching on Monday um, on how you can start your marriage off well, especially in the bedroom and where I can help people navigate some of this stuff. And so I thought this would be a great week to uh, raise these issues. So a woman writes, I've been reading your blog off and on since getting married and read your book, The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. And so I figured the following questions I have are not going to be too awkward for you to handle. Oh, trust me, nothing is too awkward for me to handle. Uh, she says it took us two weeks to go all the way because my muscles were tighter than the security at Fort Knox two days into marriage I called my mom age nurse friend whom I had been told to call if we had questions and she told my husband how to manually stretch me to allow for intercourse it wasn't fun but once again showed me that my husband loved me and was willing to work and fight for me but now we're kind of stuck in our sex life We understand the longer we're married, the more we'll grow in these areas, but it feels like we've plateaued. I'm loose enough for intercourse, but still not very loose. We can only do the missionary position and any other experimenting causes pain. I'd really like to experiment with some other positions because I think it may end up making sex more pleasurable for me. My husband has only hit my spot a couple of times and it felt great, but we've never managed to coordinate enough to bring me to orgasm. And we've never managed to get more than half of him inside me. Second of all, my dear husband has a hard time staying stiff. I love him to get all excited, but he seems he can't stay stiff for very long at all, and if it's a day that I'm more tight, it's just a bad combination. More foreplay helps me loosen up, but unfortunately it has the same effect on my husband. My husband gets very discouraged because he can't figure out how to work through these issues his body is experiencing, and I get very discouraged because it seems like as his wife, I should be able to excite him enough to stay stiff. Travel and work stress also make it more difficult for him, and the last thing I want is for him to feel inadequate just because his body isn't up for it. Okay, great questions and I think what I like about this is sometimes we just don't know what's normal and sometimes we just don't know, well, is this just something that is eventually going to resolve itself or is this something that I should look into? Sex and marriage is supposed to be wonderful. And if you are having issues with it, it honestly is okay to ask for some help. And so let me just lay out who I would ask for help in these situations. First of all, she needs to see a pelvic floor physiotherapist. There are a lot of things that you can do to work on learning how to control those muscles and learning how to relax those muscles because right now they're involuntarily spasming. So you're not doing it on purpose. That isn't your fault. But you can learn how to take more control over them uh, and that can be so helpful and that that could help her work through a lot of this pain that she 's having and just make it a lot less stressful for her I also want to say she says that she wants sex to be more pleasurable and has only ever managed to hit that spot once but it wasn't really or a few times but it didn't help her orgasm you know for most women especially when you're just getting started intercourse isn 't the way to reach orgasm and so if she hasn 't had an orgasm yet please try to reach it in another way. Let him touch her, um, oral sex, something like that, because it's good to understand how your body works and how your body responds and what pleasure actually feels like and what um, it feels like as it builds, because that's going to help you with intercourse as well. So work on experiencing orgasm in other ways. The dares that I have, the 24 sexy dares, a lot of those are just focusing on how she can be touched and what feels good for her that way. And that might be a really good thing. Thing for them to try as for him my first thought in listening to this is is it simply that he is worried about hurting her through sex and so he's starting to feel guilty about sex and that could be why he's having trouble maintaining an erection and it could be that as she gets better this issue is going to resolve too so I hope that's the case but let's assume that that's not what's going on and let's assume that, there, that he is actually experiencing a problem A couple of different thoughts. One of the most likely reasons that a guy has trouble maintaining an erection is past porn use. It doesn't mean it's always that, but it is a good idea to see if it could be that. When you train your brain to get aroused by an image or a video rather than a person, it can actually become quite difficult to maintain an erection when you are in marriage. So if he grew up with porn, this could be impacting his sexual performance. It also could be a health reason. When you have a guy who's under the age of 30 and he's getting erectile dysfunction a lot, you really do need to get that checked out. There are guys who have heart issues early. It could be a circulatory problem and you don't want to mess around with that it isn't normal for guys to have trouble like this when they're young it's becoming more and more normal because of pornography but in general this isn't a normal thing this is something that affects more men when they're older and so you do want to make sure that this isn't a health issue and so talking to your doctor is really important again, it doesn't mean that there is an issue. It just means that there might be one and it's good to rule it out. You know, when you're first married and you're having issues with her feeling tight and him having a difficult time maintaining an erection and not really feeling a lot of pleasure yet, that can be so discouraging. And this woman was so gracious in her letter. She was saying they know that it's all about their relationship and they're just working on how to feel close. And that's a great attitude. But I know this can be really disappointing. And so often we don't understand. um, When things aren't totally normal. And so I would say there are a lot of red flags here. You aren't supposed to be experiencing this much pain this many months after the wedding and after you've started having sexual intercourse. And so if you are, please see a pelvic floor physiotherapist. It's normal to have a certain amount of pain when you do start making love. It isn't normal for it to go on for months and months and months. And that is something a doctor can help with. Similarly, it's not normal for a man under the age of 30 or even 50 really to be experiencing Experiencing this level of erectile dysfunction unless there's a tremendous, tremendous amount of stress in his life. So absence that stress, you do need to ask yourself, is this some sort of a, psycholo- a serious psychological issue? Is there a struggle with porn or is there something medical? And then get those things looked at because yeah, both of those things are problems. Now, doesn't mean you can't get over them. And I really think that they can, especially because they both seem to have such great attitudes. But I am glad that she asked and I hope that they will seek the help that they need because it really is out there and people can help you with this stuff. Every week on the To Love, Honor and Vacuum podcast, I like to feature a comment that's come in either through email or on the blog or through social media or whatever. And today I actually want to talk about a Twitter conversation that I was having over the weekend. Twitter got kind of heated last week and I got involved in some rather heated debates. It all started because last week, the Houston Chronicle put out a huge expose on how the Southern Baptist missionary arm, the international mission board had known that certain missionaries were sexually abusing children and had left them on the field. And so they had had done this huge report. And on that very day, Al Mohler, who is um, the head of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, put out a tweet saying that he never thought the day would come when people would try to roll back the conservative resurgence in the Southern Baptist Church. And what he was alluding to was the fact that people were now thinking that women could teach in church. It was the whole Beth Moore controversy. So I tweeted, I can't believe that on the very day that the Houston Chronicle would report on child sexual abuse being enabled by the Southern Baptists, Al Mohler would think that the biggest threat to the Southern Baptist Church was women. And I was really quite incensed. And so this went on um, for several days. And I got involved in several interesting conversations with that. And what I like about getting involved in conversations is that sometimes it helps you to understand the other point better. Because I was talking to this one man, and the point that I was making was that in marriage, we should be pursuing God's will like God's will is always that we follow him. And so I was giving the scenario, you know, what if a man wants to do a, and a woman thinks that they should do B and let's, let's give it to her. Let's, let's say that she definitely knows that this is God's will and that this is God's will. What then is the right solution? Because he would say that you should do it the man's way anyway. And so I thought that was a fairly straightforward thing. But then it turns out that his underlying issue was that we can never know God's will because God doesn't speak to us. God speaks only very rarely throughout scripture, he said. And so you can never know what God thinks. And so therefore, you must follow the God-given authorities, meaning that she must follow her husband. And I found that so interesting and also quite frightening, but very enlightening to understand that the underlying issue isn't so much a gender relationship, although it has gender repercussions, but instead that they don't think that we can hear God. And you see, when you don't think that you can hear God, That's when you need rules. Because if we can't know God, if we can't have a relationship with God, then the only way that we can know what to do is by acting according to rules. And I think that's where you get that absolutely ridiculous list that I was talking about last week on the podcast and sharing this week on the blog of the 98 ways that she can sin against her husband. I mean, so legalistic, so nitpicking. When you don't hear God's voice, then you get nitpicky and you get legalistic. If rules were all that we needed, though, then we wouldn't need God. And that's the big disconnect that I believe is happening is that people are following rules thinking that therefore they are following God and they're not recognizing that our relationship with God is supposed to be just that. It's supposed to be a relationship where you do know God. And throughout scripture, I even asked him, I said, give me a scripture which says that we can't hear God um, because I can give you so, so very many that says that we can. I mean, Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. John 10, Jesus says over and over again about how his sheep know his voice. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. We are to recognize the voice of Jesus in our lives. And perhaps this this is the underlying problem to all this marriage stuff that we've been talking about is that people don't know how to have a relationship with God. And so the only way that they think they can run their lives is to follow all of these rules, which in their mind include include the man making all the decisions because that in their mind is also what is God ordained. Again, I have shared repeatedly on the blog how that's not what those verses mean what God wants us to do is to follow his will. And his will is going to be different in many aspects for all of us. We don't have to have families that look exactly the same. Some families are going to have the husband as the primary breadwinner and the wife being the stay at home mom. Some families are going to have the wife as the stay at home breadwinner. Some families are going to have both of them working part time and balancing child care. Some maybe even both work outside the home, but a grandma looks after the kids or whatever it might be. But we all are different based on on our giftings, our personalities, our circumstances in life, and to say that there's only one way to do things is just so wrong. And that's where we need to be able to recognize Jesus's voice. And so I want to explain what I mean by this. There are a very few times where I have heard specific words, I would say probably four times in my life where I've heard a very specific message. One of them was actually about the blog. Um, I was around 35, 36 years old, and I was really mourning the fact that we weren't going to have any more kids. We had tried to adopt. Some things had fallen through. Um, Keith had already had a vasectomy and I was struggling with this. And I was out walking on the beach and I just heard this message. It was really clear. It wasn't like an audible voice, but it was just very clear where God said, you aren't going to have any more children of your own, but I am going to use you to bring in many more children to the kingdom. It was, it it was a very freeing thing because from that moment on, I didn't mourn the kids I didn't have. And I started looking forward and that's when I really started blogging a lot more as well. And then there were some other more personal things uh, that I share in some of my talks and my conferences, you know, so those are, those are specific words that I've had. There's also other ways where you've been, you've been asking God a question, you know like am i am i supposed to move here or there or what should i do about my mother who isn't listening to me or how should i handle this difficult relationship and you're you're praying through this question and then as you open your bible and as you do your devotion certain verses just jump out at you and you may find that those same verses show up in church that very sunday or show up on the christian radio station or the same phrase shows up and and you know that that is a message just for you because that's too much of a coincidence and it was a specific question you were asking god that happens a lot to me Another one is just feeling. There are times where I have a blog post scheduled and I just don't feel good about it. I feel like, uh, oh, I don't think I explained that right or this is going to run rub people the wrong way. And I'm just, I don't sleep well and I think, ah, oh, I'm not sure I should run it. And when I do take it down and run something else, I feel much better. Sometimes I don't take it down and I always end up regretting it. I've learned to listen to those feelings. (laughs) You know, so sometimes it's just a feeling that "Eh, I'm just I just don't feel right about this. Which is different from being worried about something. Okay. It's like when you just can't let go of it and you can't sleep over it, it could be that God is telling you something. And these are the kinds of things where you start to recognize them. The more that we're in scripture, the more that we're praying, the more that we're talking to other people, the more you start to realize the way that God speaks to you. And for me, it honestly, it tends to be Bible verses that come up repeatedly, or songs that come up repeatedly in a row in all different contexts when God is specifically giving a word to me. For other people, it could be something very different. They may have specific signs in their lives. But God does speak to us. And that is okay. And I think that if we could get more used to God speaking to us, then we would understand that life is supposed to be a relationship with Jesus, where you do ask questions, and you do have to listen, and you do have to wrestle. If there was no wrestling, there would be no faith, okay? If there was no wrestling, if we just knew automatically what to do, then we wouldn't have to seek out his voice, and then we wouldn't know him as well. So it was good for me to recognize that that was the underlying issue that he didn't believe that you could actually hear from God. And that's why we needed to just listen to the husband in marriage. I want to bring up one other comment that was left on the blog this week, which I thought was very good by commenter EM. And she was talking about that list of 98 ways that you can sin against your husband. I just want to read what she said, because this fits so well into this conversation about Um, about roles in marriage. She said, having your spouse be disappointed in you is hard. It hurts. But if you tell wives they are sinning for expressing their hurts, you guarantee that her husband will not mature. And if you tell him that he is being godly for acting that way, it is practically hopeless. He may not become abusive, but you have stunted his personal growth. It's like this whole movement was created to shield men's fragile egos. I thought that was so interesting. And I think that she's really right about that. What we want in marriage is for iron to be sharpening iron. There are times... When I am so stressed and I am just overreacting to everything and I need Keith to come alongside me and say, Sheila, you've gone off the rails. You need to take a major chill pill. You need to just stop it. (laughs) And I need him to do that. Um, And he helps me so much when he does that. And then there's other times where he needs me to come alongside him. That's what it's supposed to be about is iron sharpening iron. And when we say that only the husband can be in charge, we never give the husband an opportunity to be sharpened. And I think the way through all of this mess is to realize that our main aim, everybody's main aim, should be to listen to Jesus. And when Jesus tells you something, you follow it, whether you're a man or a woman. And that helps you get into the right frame of mind, the right spirit, so that you can be iron sharpening iron. Thanks for joining me for the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum podcast. and I'm so glad that my husband could join us for the first time too. I hope that'll be a recurring thing. Remember that you can find me, as always, at com, where I blog every day about sex and marriage. And stay tuned next week for our honeymoon course launching. We'll be talking about the big mistake that people usually make on their honeymoons. And I'm excited to share that with you so that I can get marriages off to a great start. We'll see you then.